and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello and welcome to the second episode in my mini lockdown series. Uh, I don't know if you're feeling this, but time seems to fly even more so in these current circumstances. And it's also really difficult to recall what I even did during the week. So I have to say it's nice to have the regularity of publishing these on a Tuesday to give myself some sense of structure. And obviously, I hope you're getting something from it as well. This week, I spoke to Maroi Candy, a story research and production consultant for film and television drama. We delve extensively into what that entails and what that research looks like, but essentially Maroi provides assistance to writers and producers in world building, uncovering true stories, storylining and connecting and coordinating experts from scientific, medicinal and historical fields to the film industry. Prior to this, she worked at the Wellcome Trust, the UK's largest private foundation, where she built their film and broadcast drama programme, and also devised and launched the Wellcome Screenwriting Fellowship in partnership with the BFI and Film4. During this time, she commissioned and developed over 30 scripts, and served as an executive producer on five major film productions, including Craig Roberts's Eternal Beauty, Clio Barnard's Dark River, Paddy Considine's Journeyman, and Rachel Tunnard's adult life skills. We talk about her transition from welcome to freelancing, how and where she does her research, and also what scientists and storytellers can offer each other. I found this to be a really fascinating conversation, uh, not least because Murawi's job is quite unusual, but also her background wasn't necessarily in film, and she took a relatively late career pivot to embark on the work she's doing now. And it just sounds like really interesting and quite vital work, uh, particularly in an era of fake news and duplicity and, and unevidenced opinions. The idea that someone is working extensively across science and research to bring authenticity to stories feels quite hopeful. So, yeah, uh, this is episode 52 of Best Girl Grip. I took a rather circuitous route into the film industry, shall we say. Mm. My first job in film was the job at the Wellcome Trust. I kind of came really full circle in my career um, and I didn't really find that kind of dream job until quite late on in my career but I guess I should probably start at the beginning really would that make sense yeah please do because what were you doing before that and how how on earth did you end up there (laughs) I'll start right at the beginning then if uh, so so well I was always fascinated by film and I studied film my parents had a cupboard full of videos that they taped off the telly because in the 80s they used to have all the art films on television so they they recorded all these amazing films that they forced me to watch so things like Solaris and 2001 and last year so I was just completely immersed in it from quite a young age and so ended up studying film as an undergrad and did my dissertation on the alien trilogy so I was really into science fiction even then so it's again it's all come around the kind of science and fiction and art thing but after graduating I just it was coming out of recession and I it was really hard to get work so I just needed to find a job I needed to earn some money so I had this kind of crossroads moment where I came second to a job in the British Film Institute and I think that would have been a moment which would have completely sent me off in another direction but I ended up working for a media agency and then in marketing 
And that's how I kind of ended up in marketing in the arts and in higher education and technology. So it was a really roundabout route. And then in, um, I guess, my early 30s, I, there was a death in the family. And I suddenly said to myself, well, how did I get here? I just came down this route and I didn't even think about it. I didn't have a kind of career thing that I was following. I just ended up here. And I realized it wasn't where I wanted to be. And I wanted to get back to what I loved. Um, and that was the arts and film. And so I sold my house. I left a very high paid job and I went traveling for six months and came back. And then and that was when I was thinking, no, I need to find something that I really want to feel passionate about. A friend of mine said they're advertising a job at this place called the Welcome Trust, which I had never really encountered before. And uh, it was running their art and science program at the time. So it was working in the arts. So I applied for it and I got it and I was quite astonished. And so, yeah, that was that was kind of how I ended up at Welcome. I knew right from when I was young that I wanted to work in film, but I really drifted, I think. And, and I drifted into jobs that I knew I could do and I was good at and they paid well and I progressed up the ladder really quickly. And then I'm earning a lot of money and earning, you know, and have had a mortgage. And I found at that point, it's really hard to suddenly go, right, I'm going to stop and do something else. So I had yeah. to kind of make a big life change to do that. But, you know, joining Welcome was like the best thing I ever did. It was such a great experience. So I joined there and I ran their, what was at the time, their art and science programme called SciArt, which was visual artists mainly working with um, scientists to make work. So it was similar in that we were funding development, research and development, and production but it was very much visual art so I um it was a I mean it was quite a fundamental program and it ran for 10 years and it you know funded hundreds of artists and was responsible for supporting um some quite amazing work from artists like Marcus Coates and Shona Illingworth, Simon Pummel, Catherine Yass, you know really really great work but it had come to a point where they you know there was a, a need to review it so we looked at lots of we looked at what was happening in that world and we we looked at what else welcome was doing in the art world and there was lots of overlap so we launched a new arts program which was called the arts awards and that that funded the arts across theater visual arts everything young people's arts community work and we launched that in 2007 and that ran for another nine years um and again supported lots of projects working on subjects connected with biomedical science and health research but specifically in the arts so I ran that for I think something like five or six of its nine years um, and then in 2012 um, an opportunity came up for me to move across in Welcome I mean that was another great thing about working for Welcome there's so much going on and so much opportunity so uh, there was an opportunity for me to move into the broadcast games and film team, which was kind of alongside what I was doing to develop their work further in film and in TV drama. So that was like my first film job, <laughs> bizarrely. So Welcome had been working in television a lot and a bit of film as well for a number of years, but mainly in the factual side. And they just kind of started to work, develop work in drama and also in games. And so I was brought on to build the presence in that drama world. And what was your knowledge of the funding space before you joined Welcome? And I mean, I guess a two-pronged question in that what was it that appealed to you? And and I mean, why do you think they employed you if you, you hadn't had experience in that realm? Like, what was it you felt you were bringing to that role? Well, I was quite lucky in that I'd 
So I ha had experience in the arts, but also I'd worked in higher education. And obviously, Welcome, a lot of what Welcome does is in higher education, in research. And so I knew those two worlds really well. In fact, my dad is a computer scientist and an artist. So I mm. kind of, I hadn't made that connection really, particularly. You know, it was definitely a world that I felt very comfortable bridging and being in between. So I think that's why they employed me originally because Welcome is that strange kind of hybrid of, of an organisation. So it needs people who can understand how those different worlds can connect and work. So I, I guess that's why I got it. And then what was the other what was your other question well, was was funding something when you when you not at all I had academic parents and that so I understood about grants but you know no I, I I wasn't from that funding world I had to learn that as I went along so that was kind of real learning curve for me is about how funding works and also funding in the science and academic world is quite different to funding in the arts world and then funding in the film world was another kind of huge learning curve in terms of the kind of commercial side and you know, learning how to, running contract processes for production was something that was completely new to me and really kind of quite fascinating to kind of sit around the table with the lawyers and the production people as well as kind of everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot over 12 years. I imagine as well, as well as you learning about the film funding space, was it a sort of that you had to teach the film industry what Welcome did as well, because obviously yeah. they're well known for being a sort of science and research charity, but not many people probably knew that they could access you for film funding. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah, so that, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, the the job of people working in the public engagement and team at Welcome is very much a kind of translation job you know, sitting in between industries, communities and academic research and kind of doing the translation, you know, even down to kind of R&D as a term means something in the art world, it means something in the film world, it means something else, you know, it's that, that kind of language and that, that, you know, those kind of assumptions that people make about different people's worlds, there's, there's a huge role when you're working at Welcome to do that, is to, to kind of make those translations. So I guess in terms of the film side of things, it, it, there was two, yeah, there was two sides of it. There was kind of a translation to the film world about what Welcome was interested in. And then on the other side of it, there was a explaining to Welcome how the film industry works and kind of doing that translation. So it was definitely a two-way process. Now then, in terms of the, I guess in terms of the funding, one of the things that was so so because it, it's not that just we were working for a science organization it's that you're working for a public engagement kind of team and so it's very much about audiences but what goes behind all that re to get to reaching those audiences particularly in drama is a very long protracted process that means that projects can start as one thing and end up as another or not happen at all and so there's definitely a there was definitely a, a uh, kind of convincing about why you need to put money into development and why you know and that was the same for the arts what the arts was a good model actually because we had already put money into projects that had no outcome you know the point of the, the money the development funding for the arts was about creativity between different disciplines and about collaboration and about forging relationships and that kind of thing and and so you know it wasn't about reaching audiences at that point it was about the potential for reaching audiences so again that was a kind of argument that had to be made 
how important development was and you know and and the influence that development funding could have on what projects then end up getting made i think that was that was something that was really important i think that's a battle that's still being fought to be honest with you and perhaps using uh, you know one or two films that you worked on at your time there as an example can you sort of talk quite specifically about what the welcome grants could offer a film and you know how that relationship um yeah grew and evolved yeah i should probably say at the moment i should probably just say that they're not putting money into films right now so okay. if anyone's thinking about their films then don't oh. go harassing them because they're, they're <laughs> the hiatus on that so they're not funding films directly at the moment they are but they are developing new initiatives so hopefully in the future there will be there will be uh, opportunities there so in terms of film we funded film in two ways we we put money into to development and we put money into production and i think the money the development money was the significant money really and the most important because it enabled us to influence projects at an early stage and also kind of you know highlight projects that, and push projects that we thought would be important so in terms of why welcome put money into film it was it was to encourage new perspectives on their topic so new perspectives on science and health research reaching audiences that wouldn't normally engage with those kind of topics and and kind of encouraging very different perspectives on subject areas but also to encourage creatives from different disciplines to collaborate to make that work as well so so getting people to work together on stories from different fields and that's something i'm obviously taking forward in what i'm doing now so but it, what it did mean is certainly in the early days is we didn't want to fund stories about science that were kind of sort of things that you saw every day so we actually steered clear of science fiction at the t beginning and kind of scientist biopics and the kind of normal representations and we funded more comedy and psychological dramas but i think i think what was important about that development funding was that it would it could help to kickstart a project to a point at which it could be commissioned um so where you know projects were just not fully formed enough to get commissioners to take them on but and they needed that time to research um a subject area we could help with that but also for, for kind of other projects where there just wasn't the capacity to spend time on research, you know, and, and real in-depth kind of investigation into a topic so that, so that the topic could be kind of more authentically portrayed and more universally portrayed. So lots of personal lived experience stories, but how could they reflect a kind of wider universality of the topic as well? So one example is we came in very early on was Harry McQueen's up and coming second feature Supernova mm -hmm. with starring Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, I think, and I might be wrong, but I think our money was first in um, and it gave Harry and Emily Morgan, the producer, some time to really research and work with, they worked with the team at UCL who were looking at early onset dementia and to kind of write a very early draft. And then after that, the Bureau came on board and things went from there and we didn't we weren't involved in production, but you know, it's ready to go, almost ready to go, and so it'll be out soon. So I feel like that project was something that we could have really early, early influence on in terms of um, funding. But then in contrast, there's Rachel Turner, the first project we put development funding, funding into was Rachel Turner's um, Adult Life Skills, her first feature. And that we came in fairly late at a point when Rachel was kind of, you know, in later drafts and needing some direction in terms of the psycholo psychological aspects 
of what happens when you lose a twin. So not giving the story away too much, but um, so she was able to use that funding to work with an expert, a professor of psychology and a kind of expert in twin psychology and what happens when you lose a twin to do that. So I think that was really helpful to her in terms of enriching that character's journey. So yeah, they were the kind of, you know, in terms of development, that was the kind of influence that the funding could have. I'd like to think what happened in the end was that the welcome stamp became a kind of mark of credibility in terms of projects. So could you know, you knew if Welcome had been involved, they'd done their research, you weren't dealing with something that wasn't kind of fully fleshed out. And, you know, it would really, it would really help that project, I think, to take it forward. And then I suppose the final thing I would say about the funding is that while the funding was important, I think most people that we work with told me that the most important thing about their relationship with Welcome was the expertise, you know, so the the kind of contacts and the relationships that we could broker with experts. Um, so I think, again, although our funding was was useful to people, I think it, it was it came with so much more than just funding. I mean, not to tie it up all too neatly with a bow, but it strikes me as really interesting at a time where we're sort of re-evaluating the importance of science that, yeah, welcomes was sort of quite early um, in in kind of figuring out how science can impact drama and how it can be used in ways, yeah, as you say, beyond just science as we expect the genre to sort of deliver. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, with adult life skills and I think, um, was it Rocks um, you guys worked on as well? Yeah. And Eternal Beauty and all these sort of, yeah, where drama is at the centre and how science can sort of play a role in that is really interesting. And am I right in thinking you also, you were also the architect of um, the Screenwriting Fellowship? Yeah. And yeah. so how, how did that idea come about and how did you how did you launch that? So I think I said earlier that we were do already doing some work in drama. In So in the drama industry, we'd been doing some things like we'd done some workshops with Radio 4 for drama, um, for radio drama. We'd done some, we had a science on stage and screen funding programs. So there were, was other stuff that was going on around storytelling and science. What we'd also done with the BFI and Film 4 at the time was an open call competition. So the Welcome Screenwriting Prize was like a predecessor to the fellowship. Mm. So I think that had run for one year, I think. And that had been great. You know, that had really taken steps in terms of building a profile in the industry, developing the partnership with BFI and Film 4. But it was, you know, we were inundated <laughs> in terms of as open competitions often are. And it's great. And, and often welcome is inundated by kind of open call things, but it becomes very then very resource heavy. Mm. Um, and also, I think for welcome, you know, the important thing was about reaching audiences. Ultimately, it wasn't a kind of talent development program or anything like that. So we needed to be reaching people with that with a program where writers would be making work that was going to be made into films and television quite soon in order to get some outcome within the next few years. So we'd had the Screenwriting Prize and I remember sitting at my first meeting in, I don't know, 2013 and sitting around the table with BFI and Film 4 um, and also Kate Lees, the story editor, who was the chair of the Screenwriting Prize um, and I remember feeling very intimidated and they were very clear so there's Lizzie Frankie and Evie Yates and Kate Lees and they were very clear and very forthright at the time that we needed to do something completely different you know it, it had to be something that was nothing like what was already out there in terms of these kinds of things um, we needed something that would 
reach writers and directors who more experience and something that really kind of made a noise and stood out. And so we started to develop this idea of an award that came attached with an experience because what Welcome was about was much more about connections with people and ideas and archives and libraries and, you know, all those kind of amazing things out there that are useful to writers. So, yes, so we came up with this idea of a kind of fellowship that would connect a writer directly with Welcome and all the riches that Welcome funds. And, you know, and, and that would be that would be our kind of flagship initiative, I guess, in terms of the film industry. But also because we, we wanted to make a big noise about Welcome. You know, as you said earlier, there wasn't a lot of understanding at the time about was about what Welcome was about, really. And so this was our kind of flagship to say, this is what we're about. We're about ideas, we're about people, connections, interesting perspectives, original voices. And that was what the fellowship was about. So I guess the hardest thing to do with that was to sell it internally. Because <laughs> it was, you know, it was it was completely different in terms of scale and scar- size to what had, and style to what had gone before. It was completely open-ended. You know, outcomes expected at the start, and this is normally a pretty much a no-no um, in many worlds. So we were lucky that we had the arts funding that could say, you know, this is what open-ended opportunities can offer. We're lucky enough to have people at the top that were very open to this kind of stuff and, you know, really interested in and supportive of experimental projects and trying stuff. So that was really useful. And then after that, we had to sell it to the industry. That was pretty hard too. Um, There's a lot of suspicion about it at the time. And I think that was because, again, we didn't want anything. What's a big organisation putting all their money into something and they don't want anything at the end of it? And that took a long time to understand. And there was a lot of kind of telephone conversations with Film 4 and others saying, you know, this is this is what we want to do. And I, I, had a, I remember having a, a brilliant conversation with Kaylee's and Sue Bruce Smith at film four about this and and at the end of it she said I still don't get it but I'm I'm gonna you know I trust you to do it I'm sure it'll be great that was you know she was just like just go for it and that was very soon it was kind of it was a brilliant thing and it really gave us kind of confidence so yeah so that was kind of and so it became this thing and then we had to convince people that we wanted to make a lot of noise about this. So we had to have a big party and you don't have (laughs) parties in the science world. (laughs) So we had to, um, yeah, and we wanted to have a party that was full of art and science and entertainment and could look at look at the subject in a way that we would hope people would want to, to explore it if they got that fellowship. So we had a theatre producer commission loads of artwork for the party and all that kind of thing. And and I think, you know, and lots of people came and it, it, it was kind of... It, people talked about it a lot and I think that was that was what we wanted we wanted to get people talking and we wanted to make those connections and it kind of what was interesting about it was after that suddenly Welcome started to do do more of that stuff as well so I feel like we kind of we set a a stall out for what you can do in terms of connecting with other industries and other communities so yeah lots of parties after that. And on a personal level, did what was the most rewarding part of the job? You know, did it feel like the passion that you were searching for when you left your previous career was suddenly being fulfilled? Yeah, absolutely. It was like I'd come home. It was really interesting. I just kind of felt that this was a place that people could, you know, make things happen, you know, and make things happen in the world 
that were interesting and new and creative and experimental. And that was just so fulfilling. Uh, and I also, what I really liked about it was I felt like I was having a different impact of other people working in film. You know, you were doing something that was completely different and I wasn't, obviously wasn't constrained by some of the things that other people are. So, you know, the conversations that I could have with writers and producers was always, were always really brilliant and fascinating. And in terms of what I kind of find fulfilling, it was, it was ideal because what I like doing is putting different people from different circumstances in rooms together and seeing what happens. Mm. And that sounds a bit trite, but it, it, it's brilliant. And it, so many interesting things come out of it. And we, so we used to do things like writers' events in the evenings where writers would come and talk to scientists and you could just see the kind of electricity between them. It was so brilliant. I don't know whether I should say this or not. Um, well, so I'll say it and you can tell me whether you think you want to include it. <laughs> so a friend of mine, I described what I did to a friend of mine as a badly paid but well-connected madam because that's kind of what you're doing. You're... Without any disorderness, obviously, <laughs> you're, you're you're trying to work out what makes people tick, and find those people that can really connect with each other, and that's that was what was so brilliant about it. You know, in terms of the power of those relationships, in terms of creative collaboration, is just brilliant. And I kind of saw it as my job to do that and to make those productive relationships between where people working in different sectors, and that that was incredibly fulfilling. And so what motivated the decision to go freelance? At what point mm. did you realise that you needed another change? So I think I think what motivated me, well, the reason I left when I did was because I just wanted to do more of the connections and working with writers and producers and the stories and the experts. So because that was, at the time, I, there was me part-time and Emma Duffy part-time. So it was really just one full-time person working mm across all the film and television drama. And so although it was great, you couldn't get as hands-on on projects creatively as maybe you would like. So, you know, I felt that it was time for me to get my hands more dirty than they were, you know, and really get involved with some of the storytelling and the research that that's required for those stories. So, so that's what I decided to do. I mean, it was kind of a, it was a long process to getting to the point where I actually decided yes that's it I'm mm. going but because it was not something it wasn't a career that I could identify as other people doing and I have since found a couple of other people but but very few people doing this kind of work where you are helping writers and producers and researching for them yeah so I kind of it took me a while to kind of develop that um, idea and that proposition and what that might be and then start talking to people about it and what was it that you were seeing a lack of that inspired that impetus? Like, you know, obviously you must have seen a gap that you said, actually, you know, people people need more research. Where, where yeah. did that come from? Yeah, I mean, it was clear to me that from the conversations that I was having with producers and writers that, well, I mean, the gaps were kind of capacity issues. So when you're juggling a big slate or a number of different projects, the time required to do the research go and talk to people, you know, find out the realities of topics or trace, track down true stories and case studies. They just didn't have the time to do that in the way that they would like. And, and also what I also came with was a kind of black book of people, you know, in terms of experts working in different fields. So my kind of inkling was that there was 
a need for some form of capacity for producers, for production companies, some expertise in terms of bringing people together. You know, I'm not an expert in anything, but I know people who are experts in most things or, mm. you know, subject specialists. I hate the word expert anyway. So, yeah, I knew, I knew that there was a need for that, I guess. And, you know, again, it's taking, it's taking time to, to explain to people what that might mean for them as producers and how I can help them. But when they work that one out, then they can kind of see the, see the benefits to them, both in terms of their efficiency and in terms of their kind of depth and the quality that will go into the research. The story of research that you do, was that sort of skill set something that you learned on the job? How are you developing your own sort of instincts? I mean, I've always done research all the way through. So from my career, um, right from obviously when I was studying, doing research, and then even when I was working in marketing, it was on the research side. So I've always been a researcher. I've studied research methods and all that kind of thing. But actually in this kind of research, it's slightly different. It's, you know, it is quite instinctive in terms of where you go and what you do and what you ask and those kind of things but I, th- I would say that my my expertise has always been about research but also about finding the right people and the right finding things that are going to be of interest to people and I guess yeah and where the store you get a lot of factual researchers obviously in the media people working in factual television or documentary research but what I'm doing is looking at drama and so kind of understanding that connection between fictional storytelling and the the factual research and the research out there so kind of making that translation I guess. Speaking of finding people when you decided to go freelance as you say there weren't many people that perhaps did what you do and therefore I imagine you know not many people knew that that help was on offer so how did you approach people and how did you start to find projects? Well, so I was obviously, again, blessed by Welcome and the connections that that brings you, you know. <clears throat> so I knew a lot of people. Um, I knew more people in film than in television. And actually, I've ended up doing more work in television. So, yeah, I, I was incredibly blessed not to have to kind of introduce myself to loads and loads and loads of people. So all the work that I got, uh, funnily enough, wasn't mainly through projects that I'd, people I'd actually work with at Welcome, but from recommendation. So people would say, well, why don't you talk to Murari about this? And then they would come to me and that, and it's just gone from there. So I haven't really had to do much in the way of selling myself, which is good because I hate doing that. I can pitch projects, but I hate pitching myself. (laughs) Yeah, the work that, I guess the marketing that I've been doing to kind of develop the business is about explaining what I can do, what the capacity is that I have to give them and the expertise and the kind of stories that I can help them with. And also I'm really interested to know, because you, you straddle, as you say, so many different industries, both film and TV, but then science, tech, you came from a background of higher education. First of all, what is it about that variety that you enjoy? But then also, is there anything that you think those industries can learn from each other? I'm not sure, really, because I've always done it. <laughs> I like, I mean, well, I say that sometimes, sometimes I, I, I kind of have this urge to be an expert in something you know to be really really specialist in something I think what I've had to kind of come to terms with is that actually what I'm really good at is being that person who can can kind of communicate and understand lots of different worlds and bring those connections together but at the same time I don't think I'm brave or stupid enough to tell those sectors what they could learn from each other I think what I've found is how much overlap there is in terms Mm. of different sectors between science research 
tech, film, television, the arts, all, there's so much overlap because, you know, the pressures that people are under are the same. And actually, it's all about people and relationships. So everybody's trying to find the money to work on an idea that they're really passionate about. They're, you know, they're looking for that funding, they get the funding, but it's not quite what they wanted. And, you know, and there's all that juggling in terms of how do you then develop your idea into something that you can then do you know making mistakes going down blind alleys coming back round again juggling all that you get an inkling of the results and you get excited you get frustrated you then show your work to people and they and they pick it apart you know all that stuff works in all those different industries and i guess the only thing that differentiates is what i said earlier is the kind of jargon and the language that people use you know i remember sitting in a room full of comedy writers and scientists all women and what was clear about the conversations that they were having was that all the same kind of pressures in terms of everyone thinks that scientists are all salaried and you know they have this very and yes that's true in some circumstances but actually lots of don't have tenure they need to get the grant funding to get their work done so so kind of then people understanding the similarities between each other's worlds then made it much easier for them to then collaborate on ideas and there wasn't a kind of I don't really understand your world it was like no, no no we we kind of we feel like we know each other now and that was really useful I also just love that image of like comedy writers and scientists like two two worlds that are seemingly quite opposed kind of coming yeah. together and realizing that yeah they have a lot of commonalities yeah right and there's some, there's some very funny scientists that's you know they really are I think that's the thing it's trying to break down some of the stereotypes really Mm. Um, and I also read on your website that you do idea generating workshops, um, which is, you know, they, they sound brilliant. And, I, and I'm wondering if you can perhaps offer insight um, to any writers um, that might be listening to the podcast about how they can, I don't know, make themselves more receptive to ideas or, or how to how to move forward in, in fleshing those out and or, or knowing that you've got an idea that has legs, if that's yeah. something that you yeah, work on. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, again, so so the workshops I used to run, I'm not doing them so much anymore, mm. the workshops I've run in the past have, A, I never find them unreceptive to ideas, it's more about what you then do with those ideas. Mm. Um, and I guess, and how flexible you are in that idea. So, so what we would find on both sides in the workshops is you would have some people writers or scientists who wanted to tell their story and that's what they wanted to tell and that's the story they were going to tell and there was no kind of room for other voices in those ideas and I think I think the listening part sometimes in terms of those those relationships was sometimes lacking and I think you know and I think what what writers often find when they're exploring these kind of uh, research driven topics is that it's very, it can be very bamboozling, you know, in some ways, but at the same time, and you never quite know when you're hearing what you're hearing, which of those things is going to end up on the page or not, or which might come back five years later, I guess. So I think the writers that I've worked with are kind of, they're always open to everything they hear. And then it's a kind of filtering process in terms of how you use that. And in your experience, because I think it is quite a difficult balance to strike is kind of the, the research can sometimes feel overwhelming and you, you dive into it and then it's it's knowing how to refract that into your writing, but without it yeah, overwhelming it. So yeah. how do you know when that balance has been achieved? 
we used to have this, this, I used to have this line, which was step away from the science. And, and I think, you know, there is often a point where the writer has got, got so immersed in the research that they lose the track of the story they really want to tell. But that point at which that happens can vary quite massively between writers. And, and, and also the, the level of research detail that's required for them at different points is quite varied as well. But there's often a point where you just go, OK, leave the research, leave the science, step away and just go back to the story and then come back to it later when you know what that story is. I think that's that's hardest. I mean, certainly when I'm working on a project and a producer will say, we want to do something about X. And it's and that's really, really a tough brief, you know, when they just want to do something about a topic and, you know, they're not kind of clear about what the story is. So that's where you have to kind of fully immerse yourself in the research mm. and then slowly unpick what that story might be. So I kind of understand how that that can work mentally. There is often a point at which you kind of, and just slowly, slowly, gradually, the the shape of the story comes out of that research. And where is that research happening? Both in sort of physical spaces, are you going to like libraries, but then also online spaces? Do you have, you know, go to, I don't know, academic sites or whatnot? Like, yeah, where do you even begin? Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> it really is. I mean, obviously, at the moment, everything's online. So I would say that predominantly a lot of my stuff is online or talking to people I mean the most important thing is around talking to people it's kind of a detective job to find out what Mm. you need to find out if that makes any sense but what the way I uh, the way I kind of approach that is about so my first thing is about finding people to talk to who then means that I then find other people to talk to who might point me at things to read who might which then might point to other people to talk to it's kind of connecting the dots up really and and it's kind of what you said is the hardest bit is at which point you say right I'm going to stop now Mm. and is there a project that you're you're proudest of having worked on where you sort of you see the the fruits of your research yeah loads tons of them so most of my projects are in development now in fact you know Mm. 99% of them so there's not many that I can particularly talk about, but one that I can talk about that is kind of public to the world is a project with Jack Thorne that I'm working on at the moment for the BBC. Mm. And that will be going into production sooner rather than later. So yes, that, so that's a, a family drama about a family with a child with complex medical conditions. Um, so that's about all I can say on it. But I've been, but what's been so brilliant about it is kind of taking that story through from no story right at the start well a kind of sketch of a story and really kind of trying to get to grips with the experience of those families and find out lots um lots about their experiences and how it all works and kind of the very technical medical detail of 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 particular conditions through to kind of really mapping out the story and uh, the medical journey of that drama and that's been just such a great experience really and continues to be such a great experience. Is there any pressure involved in that in that it kind of it, it's on you to sort of provide that specificity and, and that balance and knowing that that's you know then going to be seen by um, a potentially quite big audience especially if it's a topic that hasn't been explored before and that's going to be their only access point for you know what what 
that condition is or what living with you know that um, illness is like yeah absolutely and yeah that is a pressure but we well the thing that I think is the most important is you surround yourself with the people in those circumstances so you talk to the people who have lived through those experiences you consult with the right kind of medical experts and the charity so you make sure that the research that you're doing is really significant and comprehensive I guess and you know and yes it will ultimately be a drama and there will be people who will say that's not factually accurate or whatever but actually what it's about is is the authenticity of that experience and I think you can only get that if you've kind of immersed yourself in in what's going on and, and really connected with the people who experience it. And obviously, if the bulk of your work is online anyway, I'm, I'm assuming that not much has changed for you in the pandemic, but has it impacted the way you've worked? And if so, how? Yeah, so yes, it has. A lot of my work is at home anyway, in the home office, but I'm not able to see people face to face now, certainly in terms of working with the people from the television and film side, but also going and actually meeting people and interviewing people. It's not quite the same as when you interview them over uh, Skype as it is is or Zoom or meeting them yeah. and also nothing that I'm working on is in production so from that side of things things are carrying on but it's more the juggling of kind of homeschooling teenagers you know and work and all that kind mm. of thing the kind of distractions of what's happening in the world it's very I can't help but get obsessed with the science of what's happening <laughs> yeah so at the moment the way I'm managing it is kind of to teach primary and secondary school in the morning and then work in the afternoons basically but also a lot of the writers and producers I'm working with are in similar positions so we're kind of adapting to different timescales and different Mm. headlines and things like that I mean in a way you know my work would have continued normally but I've had to actually turn down work because I'm having to juggle and are you glad you made that transition to freelancing um do you wish that you'd done it sooner at all yeah what are your thoughts on that Oh no, I, I'm really glad. I really, I was really worried. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people, you know, you go, why would you leave a job like that? It's just the most amazing organisation to work for. But mm. it was so the right time. I think I, I, I'd reached a point where I didn't really want to have to deal with organisational politics and internal kind of restructurings and all that kind of thing. I just reached a point where I wanted to do what what gave me joy. And, and so I wanted to kind of take the best of what I was doing and do it on my own and I think that's that's been really really rewarding and what you don't realize when you're it, it, there's tough stuff the finances is tough it really is but I'm lucky in many ways about from that side of things in that you know compared to lots of other people who are working um freelance but but what you get when you're when it's just you is you get such a kind of affirmation probably more than you would in a big organization where you can get a bit lost just somebody the kind of instant kind of gratification I guess in terms of doing a good job is just so there much as I loved what I did and I loved my time there I really don't regret that I'm doing it for myself now and if it's possible to distill it has there been a biggest learning curve of your career and if so what was it do you know the biggest learning curve was a long time ago when I first managed a team I mean that's a massive thing and I think people underestimate how hard it is to manage people and to manage teams and so you know that was probably my biggest learning curve and and something that I've taken with me throughout is about that kind of how to how to help people to be their best I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Does that apply with working with kind of writers? Because obviously everyone has different ways of working and, and particularly writers. And is that something you then have to navigate now as sort of, yeah, yeah managing those relationships? Absolutely. And that's the most interesting thing. When There's two brilliant things when you start working on a new project with new writers. And one of it is about getting to know that writer and finding out how they work and how their mind works and how, how what makes them tick. And the other is that kind of moment of, discovery where you're going i i don't know what i'm going to find out here i you know this is going to be really fascinating but that moment at the beginning is just brilliant that's hard to come by um and is there a myth that you want to bust around working in the film industry in general that's tricky because i don't it's not sorry a myth about the film industry or a myth about my role well i guess both that there is something specific to your job but then also i mean the fact that you can operate in the countryside for me is you know not a lot of people realize that that's something that's possible they think you have to be city-based in order to work in the film yeah. industry so that's quite enlightening for me yeah, no i hadn't even thought about that yeah absolutely and that has been one of the great things about going being independent as well is being that flexibility if you can work anywhere but you know because I've got projects going on throughout the country as well so mm. it is I mean that's that's a great benefit I think it's difficult for me about myths about what I'm doing because I think I don't really know what the expectation is I think because it's all new except the only thing that people often ask me is if I have a science background or I fail you know the closest <laughs> I got was failing my GCSEs in science so you know I kind of think well I can get I mean that's all part of it isn't it if I can be fascinated by these mm. and really start to understand them then anyone can but that's it I think we have such a narrow understanding of what science is that we you know when I think of science I, I think of like what I learned at school and like photosynthesis and you know just just very very minute concepts of what it yeah. actually entails and I, I I think we could all do well to sort of expand our minds as to yeah how we yeah and I, I see it with my daughter schooling at the moment it's still the same you know it's still kind of and and actually the kind of the ethical and the philosophical challenges of science are you know I think more of that early on in education would be really really beneficial and finally um what is a film that you've seen recently it can be an old release um short or feature length from a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem so there are lots of artist filmmakers out there that I think people don't always pick up on, like work people um, like Shona Illingworth, Ros Mortimer, Daria Martin, and animators, women directors. Like, you know, there's a lot more women directors working in that world, I think, probably proportionately than TV and film. So people like Samantha Moore and Ellie Land and great animation directors. I think everybody should be looking up their work as well. Um, but I will say that because um, it's on Netflix at the moment, adult life skills has to be seen. Yes. You're missing out. But um, completely unconnected, I watched uh, Jennifer Fox's The Tale. And it's not an undervalued film at all, but I don't think it got... I, I keep talking to so many people who haven't seen it. Mm. Um, and that's because it's about kind of memory and the infallibility of memory and the stories we tell about uh, tell about ourselves about the past for me I've done you know so much exploration of that subject in terms of what I've been doing for research so it's a topic I know well but it was just such an instantly identifiable and authentic depiction of of the kind of yeah how we interpret our own past I just think it's brilliant I think if you haven't seen it you have to see it Thank you so much for speaking with me today. This has been really, really interesting.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Best Girl Grip. There should be another lockdown episode next week, so look out for that. Also, Maroe mentioned working with Emma Duffy at the Wellcome Trust, and if you dig very deeply into the archives, I think episode four or five, you'll find an interview with the lovely Emma. In the meantime, keep taking care of yourselves and have a good week. Bye.